Black Area 51 and a half with your host, John Allen. And Snyderman 501, Nick Snyder. Here at Area 51, we want to guarantee one thing to you, that we are a safe community, we welcome all listeners, and we do not discriminate against anyone. This is correct. Nick, before we get into our topic today, what's coming up in the world of pop culture? Well, let's first talk about Friday. On Friday, it was Disney Plus Day, and Disney dropped a lot of really neat first looks at stuff. Uh, we got a first look at Hocus Pocus 2. I don't know about you, but I... Well, I do know about you. I love the first Hocus Pocus. I know you enjoyed it. I certainly did enjoy it. It's become a cult classic in a way. It didn't do well at the box office when it first premiered, but that was their own fault because they put that out in the summertime instead of putting it in, out in October when everybody would have gone to see it. Right. But it found its audience with video releases, and became a cult classic, particularly of a generation. And to this day, my favorite Bat Midler performance, absolutely. Another thing that we got to see was our first look at Kenobi, which I'm excited for. I'm a little bit worried about the fact that we are going to have Hayden Christensen back as Darth Vader, not because it's Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader, but because Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are going to meet up at some point during this show, but whatever. Whatever, I'm fine with that. I'm excited to see where it goes. I am glad to see you and McGregor back as Kenobi. That is going to be awesome. I don't think that the solo movie did as well as they'd hoped it would. So making it a series, I think, is a, a smart choice. I agree with that. Star Wars has killed it as far as TV goes. If you've watched the Clone Wars TV series, if you've watched Rebels, and of course, if you've watched The Mandalorian. I love The Mandalorian. It's so good. And these shows have absolutely killed it. Speaking of The Mandalorian, we got some more look at The Book of Boba Fett, which releases in December. I cannot wait for this. Tamora Morrison as Boba Fett. Ah, oh, it's going to be so good. Uh, we also got to see the first look at Baymax, if you're a fan of Big Hero 6. That is coming down the pipeline as well. And of course, we got to see some really, really exciting Marvel releases on the way, including, and this is the one that gets me, X-Men 97, a continuation of the 1990s X-Men cartoon. I am stoked for that. We also got to see our first look at She-Hulk with Tatiana Maslany, and of course Mark Ruffalo, who I didn't even realize was going to be in the show. And we got our first look at Moon Knight with Oscar Isaac. And that, that looks wonderful. That looks great. Now, Nick, you saw The Eternals. I was not able to get to see it because I really, with COVID-19, I really have to be very cautious about when I can actually go see things in a live theater because I have an 82-year-old mother that I have to worry about. Yeah. What are your thoughts on The Eternals? So I'm going to try and keep it as spoiler-free as possible. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It was different than a lot of the other Marvels have been. It started off with a group of people as opposed to building up with to a group. It was really neat. I loved the performances. Gemma Chan really stood out in this film. Angelina Jolie really stood out. I really enjoyed it. And if you haven't seen it yet, like my partner here, go see it. You will love it. And, of course, uh, the, one of the big things that dropped this week is the Free Britney movement has finally seen some fruit. Yes, yes. So, Britney Spears, as I'm sure a lot of you know, has been completely released from her conservatorship after 13, nearly 14 years. So, as we, we all know the history of this, she had her breakdown and then her father, Jamie Spears, took over basically her life as conservator. So, he's had access to everything that she's basically made throughout her career. Now she's free, and I hope that she is now truly happy. And what's happening in the world of video games? So two things I want to talk about in video games. Number one, 
we got our first look at Spider-Man in the new, in the Avengers video game. Now that is going to be a PS4 exclusive, and I know some people who use micro, Microsoft Xbox are a little upset about that. But anyway, it looks fantastic. I'm excited to see how they integrate all of the typical Spidey mechanics into the game. Because it's not going to be a true Spider-Man game, it's going to be an Avengers game. So there's a lot of other different mechanics in there. Something else I want to talk about that really just made me so happy this week was the release of Jurassic World Evolution 2. I picked this game up on release day and I have not put it down. I haven't beat the game yet, but I've enjoyed everything so far. The level of immersion in this game is huge. You can go in and you can manage literally every aspect of the park. You don't just lay down buildings and let it go. You can now lay down buildings. You can customize the buildings. You can add different aspects, appeal to different types of guests in the buildings. It's huge. It's insane. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, one of the, the only, the only negative aspect I have so far is the physics with the, with the Jeeps. Hopefully that gets fixed in the future because it's, it's kind of silly at some points. But anyway, anyway, John, what else do we have this week? Well, Nick, this brings us to our main topic of the day. Right. And, and I just want to tell people, uh, our listeners, just in case, disclaimer, we will be talking about sexuality in this broadcast. So if you don't want to listen to that, it's not going to be anything heavy. It's not going to be anything graphic. But in case you don't want to listen to it, we're telling you that right now that aspects of our podcast today will contain a discussion on sexuality. And parents, if you listen along with your kids, maybe give it a listen to first and you can determine whether or not you want them to listen to it afterwards, okay? Okay, so I am excited about our topic. Oh, I know you are. You oh, know I'm excited about our topic, because Nick, what is the one thing I love more than Halloween? Oh, gee, what is the one thing? Um, Would it be Superman? Yes! All right. I love Superman. Literally, he's been singing about this all week. It's it's going to be great. Now, let me throw out a couple names to you, Nick. See if they sound familiar. Does the name Ray Middleton sound familiar to you? Honestly, no. What about the name Bud Collier? Kinda. Okay. Well, keep that in the back of your mind because we will get to those gentlemen a little later. Bud Collier and Ray Middleton. Okay. Yeah. That's stored in back. Yeah. So, again, today we are talking about Superman, an icon who has fans that include Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Mummy from Lost in Space, played Will... Gene Simmons of KISS fame, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker himself, former President Barack Obama, and Elvira Cassandra Peterson, just to name a few. That's a pretty big list. Yes, and this icon has stirred quite a flurry over the internet of opinions in the last couple weeks when it was announced that Superman was bisexual. Yeah, that dropped and a lot of people had some huge opinions on it. But before we get into that latest iteration, let's talk about the history of the greatest superhero of them all. So, we're going to talk about what he represents, mm -hmm. changes uh, the, into Superman, and uh, all just all kinds of things, Nick. I, I was just having a great time doing research. You're going to have to excuse the, the sound of papers moving because I took so many notes. Lots of notes. If I had done... This many notes in school, I would have uh, had a doctorate. Superman was actually the very first comic book superhero. 
That makes sense. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. And he influenced Stan Lee. So all you Marvelites out there, you wouldn't have had all these other superheroes if it hadn't been for Superman. This thrills me to no end. I'm pretty sure Stan Lee at some point worked in the uh, the mailroom at DC as well. Yeah, well, probably. And Stan Lee himself has, has said that Superman was a direct influence. Well, it makes sense. I mean, when you have that kind of character and you're in that business, the biggest character is going to be the biggest influence on he, you. Yeah, he's been in comics. He's been in the newspaper. He's been on television. He's been in movies, radio, Broadway even, although it flopped. But still... I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know there was a Broadway There show. is a Broadway musical called It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. Oh, that's beautiful. It stinks, but, it's, <laughs> but there it is. He is the mythic symbol of moral strength, character, and hope. A pop culture phenomenon. Remember in our first broadcast, we had talked about uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon and yeah, yeah, yeah. all of its pop culture influence that it had. Yeah, absolutely. Pop culture as we know it, started back in the 30s. And it started with Superman and Mickey Mouse, believe it or not. That is where pop culture was actually born. So, with each new generation of Superman challenges, and he challenges the notions of what it means to be a hero. The great thing about Superman is that there is a humility about him that you don't get with the other heroes. You certainly don't get it with the Batman. Nope. And it's great because he has this mythos around that humility. It comes in the form of kryptonite in a way. Because it's the idea that even the most powerful, the most strongest among us, can be vulnerable. We are not all impervious. Richard Donner, who directed the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, has this to say... It is the greatest fantasy in the world. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. The greatest fantasy in the world. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, imagine being Superman. Imagine having, being the man that can do all those things, have all those powers, but have the humility to not overstep the boundaries. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, there's these ideas, which is why, like, all the different kryptonites affect him in different ways. Because he has, everything about him is super. So yeah. he has a super ego. He has super humility. He has uh, super anger, if you really want to go that way. And his biggest challenge is within himself to keep those emotions under control. Yeah, and I think that's really, again, going back to Richard Donner's point about that, is it's not about having the powers. It's about acting in the way or carrying ourselves in a way that makes us a better person. Right. And that's that's what makes the our, our latest iteration, played by Henry Cavill, so interesting. When we see that movie, The Man of Steel, uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but if you haven't by now, I mean, the movie's about 10 years old, um, where he is at odds with himself towards the end of the movie, where Zod is using the heat vision to threaten the lives of a young family and Superman has him in the, a neck hold. He's trying to hold the, his head away from him, but Zod's just as strong as Superman is. Yep. They're both Kryptonians. They both have the same powers. And he has that 
internal struggle, which is sort of an update into our modern society, where he has to kill Zod. He does not want to kill Zod, but he has no choice. It's either kill Zod or those innocent people die. And he makes that choice, and Cavill played it brilliantly, where we see the anguish in that choice. Absolutely. I, I love Henry Cavill. I love him um, more so nowadays than Man of Steel initially came out, but there's a lot to be appreciated in his performance. So let's get back. Where did Superman start? Where did this, this worldwide icon come from? Well, Krypton. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not what I mean. <laughs> That's not what I mean at all. Of course he came from Krypton. That's part of the mythos. But who created the mythos? Well, we know it was Jerry Siegel and George Schuster, two young adolescent boys from Cleveland, Ohio. Now, for us, how exciting is it that part of Superman is Canadian? Yeah, Joe Schuster is originally from Canada. Yeah, uh, he moved there with his folks when he was about nine years old, I believe. About that, yeah. And these were a couple awkward, shy teenagers. They didn't really fit in with the jocks. They didn't fit in over here with this other group. But somehow they found each other and became fast friends. They liked to write. They were interested in news. They were interested in writing stories, particularly those grandiose ideas of heroes and villains and swashbuckling adventures. So, Jerry Siegel did the writing, Joe Schuster did the illustrations. So, the very first story that they came up with was actually not a hero. Superman was not going to be a hero. Superman was a bald villain. <laughs> Doesn't that sound familiar? That's more, funny. On, more on that later. With telepathic abilities. But they rethought the character to be a force for good rather than a force for evil. you imagine Superman is bald? Well, like I said, a little bit more on that. So they came up with this really rich story called The Reign of Superman. And it was just going to be this marvelous thing. And they worked on it, and they worked on it. And every editor at the time, Nick, every editor jumped at the chance to reject it. Ah, uh, isn't that always the way? Oh, they they didn't like it at all. I mean, you know, it's the 1930s. Yeah, and you know, there's a thing is like if you look at how a lot of the different properties out there that became iconic, and I'm talking not just Superman. You look at Star Wars. You look at even Harry Potter. The amount of uh, companies that passed on these properties is huge. Yeah, I mean, look at my favorite author Stephen King. He wrote Carrie. What did he do? Oh, this stinks, and threw it in the waste paper basket. His wife Tabitha picks it up from the waste paper basket. And says, No, no, it doesn't stink. They send it off. I'm sure there were rejections, but he almost threw out what was going to become his first novel and then later on this iconic, legendary horror author of Stephen King. Yeah, and Carrie is still one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So, back to Superman. DC Comics, Detective Comics, if you don't know that's what DC stands for, stands for Detective Comics, decided to take a chance. And they used it for their action comic line, Action Comics number one. And that's where we get that iconic cover of Superman holding up the car above his head. Just, I love that. I love it that is so a much. great shot. It's a great illustration. And it's interesting that you mentioned that. You mentioned his super strength because Superman was not as strong as he would become. Yeah. 
I, I do know that. I know that the powers that he has has grown and evolved over the years. I know that he didn't have like the super breath and whatnot until later on the, the lasers, even, even initially, I know that hit flight was not a power that he had. He had the, essentially the, the ability to jump a quarter yeah, mile. Or yeah. Something a, like as it goes, as it goes faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Yeah. Yeah. Leap, not leap. fly, leap, he jump, can, jump, he can jump. Yeah, I mean, he'd, he'd get a gold medal in the Olympics. Easy. But then we have this idea of him being a mild-mannered reporter. But underneath is this superhero. You know, and this, this great dual identity of him being Clark Kent and being Superman. So it was wildly popular amongst youth and people of the time. Well, and that, that makes sense because... When you think about, when, when you fantasize about being a hero or being someone else, you have your own personality, and then you think about yourself being this other person with a larger-than-life personality or superpowers or whatever. It's the duality of, of everyone at that point. Yeah, and it's interesting to note as we go through this history that not all of the mythos was created by Jerry uh, Siegel and Joe Schuster. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see where some of the mythos comes from. So we've got this wildly popular comic. And remember I told you to remember the, the name Ray Middleton. Right. Ray Middleton is actually the very first Superman. They hired an actor to be a live version of Superman at the World's Fair. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. When, he, when was that? Well, back in the 1930s. Holy crap. You know, like, he, it wasn't a movie, it wasn't a radio show, it wasn't anything like that. It was just, you know, the guy in the suit that you would see from the comic books. And it's like, hi, I'm Superman. Here, bend this bar. You know, do all this great promotional stuff. Oh, so obviously they give him a gimmick bar. And yeah. It's with clap. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Ray Middleton is actually the very first time anybody put on the cape and the tights to portray Superman. That is a fantastic piece of trivia. I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, after this, of course, DC could sell Superman to the newspapers. You know, so you could read the adventures of Superman daily in the newspaper. And the comics of the 1930s were so important to newspapers because you had ongoing serials. You had things like Little Orphan Annie. You had Mary Worth. You had Superman. You had Popeye. You had Betty Boop and all these wonderful little adventures that were going on. I'm going to stop you for just a second for an aside here. I did not know Little Orphan Annie was a comic. Yeah. That blows my mind. I had no clue. Yeah. I always thought it was a Broadway show. Well, no. I mean, they take the popular things and they turn them into Broadway shows. Yeah. I am learning so much today. <laughs> so it was a natural progression because they didn't have television at the time. It was a natural progression to take this wildly popular comic, this wildly popular comic strip from the newspapers and turn it into the one media that they really had, which was the radio. And in the 1930s and 40s, the radio was extraordinarily important to listeners to gather that entertainment. People would gather around the, the radio. They would listen to their favorite shows. The Shadow Knows, Little Orphan Annie, but Superman was the big one. He debuted on the radio in 1940 and was an instant hit with 20 million listeners. Wow! 
listening to Superman. Now, I, I know there's a big difference between today and, and then. I know that at that point, radio was the form of entertainment, but like 20 million listeners, there are TV, there are TV shows that would cry for that kind of exposure nowadays. Right. And what's really interesting, too, is that uh, this is when I said, do you remember the name Bud Collier? Bud Collier. Clayton yeah. Bud Collier is the first voice of Superman. Really? He played Superman in the radio program. Really? Yep. And there were over 2,000 of these shows. That's a lot. Over how many years? I don't know exactly over how many years, but it was, again. Still, that's huge. Yeah. Just huge. And there were some interesting changes that happened, too. For instance, the Daily Planet was known as the Star. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. I do know that. And <laughs> the character of the editor wasn't Perry White. It was, right. it was a character by the name of George Taylor. George Taylor, yeah. So in the radio show, it became Perry White. And it's like, I'm kind of really glad that they made these changes. And it was through the radio shows that we got the idea that uh, they added these plot devices. Remember I said the mythos came from different sources. Yeah. And then DC then adopts these, these mythos into their comics. Right. So the added plot devices that we have is that... This is where he could now fly. Really? Well, radio, of course he can fly. You don't need to see it. You can't see it. Sound effect. Up, up, and away. And off he goes. Flying. So, it was also in through the radio shows that kryptonite was introduced. Because you have this powerful person, how are you going to stop him? Well, in one of the episodes, it's like, oh, this rock, this strange rock, what is this? It's making me feel funny. I feel weak. Kryptonite. We now have no. kryptonite. Didn't realize that either. And because it became so wildly popular, because the, the radio show was, was huge, had 20 million listeners, this fueled interest in merchandising. And the only other character that had this kind of merchandising and representation, as I said earlier, was Mickey Mouse. Yep. So between Mickey Mouse and Superman... This is where pop culture was born. Yeah, and if you think, like, if you look at both characters over even the amount of time that I've been alive, which is 37 years now, there I've seen so many different forms of mass media, merchandising, anything you can think of, it has had Superman's logo or Mickey Mouse's ears slapped on it. Right. And it's interesting, too, because Superman was first idealized as basically what we now coin the phrase as a social justice warrior. Yeah, yeah. So if he was just battling low-level thugs, like, oh, how dare you rob this this store owner? You know, this is terrible. And it's like, oh, how, how dare you, evil landlord? I'm going to show you. I'll tear down your building. You know, just all these kind of ideas that were there. He, he didn't stand for, he standed for truth, justice, and the American way. You know, now, of course, he's an American comic, so of course it's truth, justice, in the American way. But that last part can be applied to the world. Mm -hmm. Because, as Gene Simmons said, he is the ultimate immigrant. Yeah. Comes from the planet Krypton. He's here uh, to basically use his powers for good. And he chooses to use his powers for good. 
can easily choose not to. Well, and there's a thing. Let's look at a... We can briefly look at a, at a movie that recently came out, Brightburn, which is the Superman story with that dark twist. What if a character came to Earth with these powers and decided to not use them for good? And that, that's a really, really... That's a juicy idea. But, yeah, like, it's such a... There's so much hope behind Superman when you think about that. When you think of the fact that he has these powers and he comes to a place where he's not native to it and uses his powers for good. But this is one of the things. Once we start setting up this worldwide superhero, this savior of humanity, well, one of the big problems that we have or that DC had was that there were real life tragedies happening. Mm -hmm. And so we're moving into the 40s now. And what was the rise in the 40s? Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich. Yeah. Nazis. So now they have this problem. Can Superman just fly in and stop the war? Well, theoretically, yes. Yeah, he could. In real life? No. No. So what they actually had him do was that he became a symbol for the idea of supporting war bonds, uh, as many of them did, like Captain America yeah, of and, course. So and so on. And he, they would show him, you know, giving uh, Hitler a good uppercut or <laughs> a punch or whatever. Just like Captain America. <laughs> but they didn't want to be disrespectful to the soldiers who were actually fighting, the actual heroes of these wars. Yeah. So this is how they, they used Superman as this symbol. You know, support these guys, fight for these guys. And they did that again uh, after 9-11. You know, there's this wonderful image of a painting where it has firefighters and first responders and police officers and Superman standing there looking at this mural. And out of his the little dialogue bubble says, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, I remember after that happened, I know, I remember the Superman bit, and Marvel also did their, did a comic where they involved the Marvel superheroes with 9-11, and it was such a touchy subject, I always wondered how other people saw that. I liked it, but I was wondering how other people saw that. That's interesting, I, I don't know how, I can't interpret work for other people. Yeah, I know. Um, so it's... You're right. How how did everybody else see that? We know that there's controversy. We're getting to it. Yeah. We're getting to it. Well, and that's that's always the thing is like comic books have been around for a long time. Superman has been, been around for a long time. So it does get to a point where these characters cannot avoid controversy. No. There's always going to be something. It's going to happen. And, and that's what I mean. As I said, they used him as a social justice warrior to begin with. So you have these radio programs, the, the comic books, the comic strips. And in one of the radio programs, not only did he fight the Nazis, but Superman also took on racism and fought the Ku Klux Klan. As he should. Yeah, as of course he would. And there's a, a line, I'm paraphrasing, of course, where Jimmy Olsen says, I don't understand why people would hurt other people this way. Other Americans. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's it's really quite quite interesting. But he is also the ultimate immigrant, not just for from from Krypton to the United States of America, but from the United States of America 
to the world. He is known, of course, in different languages all over the world, different cultures. I wrote down a couple that tickled me, and I'm going to try and pronounce these correctly. In Finland, he is known as Terasmias. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly because I'm not Finnish, but Terasmias. That's what he's known as. In Sweden, he is Stalmanen. Interesting. This one really made me laugh. In Italy, he is Nembokid. Okay, the other two, I can see what they mean. What does that mean? I have no idea. I'm okay. not Italian. I don't speak Italian, but and I probably have not pronounced these right. If I have not pronounced these right, don't come for me. I'm English. What do you want? I that is, that is my native tongue. These are not my native tongues. I don't speak another language other than Canadian English. So as I said, Superman is the ultimate immigrant. And this is what Gene Simmons gravitated to because Gene Simmons is also an immigrant to America yeah. from Israel. Um, and he said every time that Superman would come on, um, he would run into the, the bathroom, he'd grab a towel, and he'd tie it around his neck so he could have the cape and listen to Superman. Can you imagine little Gene Simmons kiss the tongue and the demon and the rock god as a child just bouncing around the living room listening to Superman? I cannot. I always imagined that Gene Simmons just popped up out the ground wearing face paint. <laughs> and that says something about representation. Being able to see something that you can relate to in media and just feel represented yeah, and that's and, beautiful and gene simmons is very profound especially when it comes to immigration mm -hmm. because this is what he had to say about it superman was the great longing of immigrants to fit into society and aspire to greatness well it's all about the american dream yeah but i mean it's more than that he is this person from another planet to fit into the global culture not mm -hmm. just the American culture, but the global culture is yeah. astounding. Well, I mean, and that's actually, when you look at the, uh, the the names in other countries that you gave me, like Teres Minen, that literally means Earthman. Yeah. And that that's really a neat way, to, that's a really neat name for they have for him, because if you look at Superman throughout the years, yeah, it's truth, justice, the American way and all that, but... He's really, he really belongs to the planet Earth, not just America. And that's what I love about pop culture, Superman in particular, but pop culture in general, how it unifies us. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you're into. You always have that sense of community, whether you're into Superman, whether you're into Batman, whether you're into Star Wars, whether you're into Ninja Turtles, whatever it is, you get a sense of community from different forms of pop culture. You find people that love the same thing that you love. And you've already got that in common, and you can just gel with them. Yeah. And it's wonderful. And so now we're, we're moving into that idea where Superman is still very wildly popular. The war's going on. Um, people are getting their news from, from movies. People used to go to movies. And this, I think this is a wild concept for uh, younger millennials and Gen Z and below to, to really wrap their brains around. You didn't just go to the movies and see that movie. You went to the movies and you saw a newsreel. Yep. People would go to a movie, not even to see the movie. They'd pay their dime or quarter or however much it cost just to see the news. Yeah, typically the way it worked is you got the movie, but you also got a newsreel. You got some cartoons and all that for a nickel, dime, whatever. A cereal. Yeah. You know, not cereal that you eat, like a movie cereal. <laughs> so 
the Fleischer Studios, they, they had produced Popeye, they had produced uh, Betty Boop. They got the licensing to produce um, the first Superman cartoon shorts before the movies played. And this was the first time that audiences could see Superman fly. Yeah. Now, I mentioned in a past podcast that my grandmother had old VHS tapes of these cartoons, so I'd seen a whole bunch of them. Some of them had been colorized, but for the most part, I got to see the black and white ones, and it was really kind of cool. Well, these Fleischer ones were color, uh, which, you know, back then was kind of an astounding thing to begin with. But this, again, speaks to the popularity of Superman. Again, Bud Collier comes back and voices Superman. Really? Yep. Neat. And... This is where uh, we get our first Lois Lane. Joan Alexander played the voice of Lois Lane in these movies. Right. Whoa! In these cartoon shorts. Well, hang on. This is the first time we get to... We, we see Lois Lane? No, it's the first time somebody is... A voice star. Okay, got you. So she wasn't, she wasn't in the radio shorts? The radio shorts? Um, I don't think she was actually interesting i'm not sure on that interesting i'm not sure on that but um yeah she in the research i was doing she's sort of credited as the first lois lane that's cool i'm not sure that's just my research could be faulty i try to be as thorough as i possibly can but uh for right now that's what we're going with if i have to do a retraction later i will because it's like science once you prove it wrong you move on uh, anyway, one of the things that they did was they used a, a technique for filming these movies called rotoscoping. Oh. What rotoscoping was, it's a lot like the um, motion capture that they do today. They took live action models and they would pose them and then they would trace over them one frame at a time. And it was a really new standard that was set back in the day for animation. And it was so interesting to see and so um, cutting edge at the time Mm -hmm. that they were actually rewarded with an Oscar nomination for it. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So this is just fantastic stuff getting into all of the minutia and pop culture out there and influence that Superman had. So now let's jump forward to December 7th, 1941. Okay. And... We are in an interesting time. Well, December 7th, 1941, if my memory serves me right, that is Pearl Harbor. Yes. So we kind of have this new enemy to America. Right. And they bring up the mantle with Superman. Now, it's funny because, and I don't mean funny ha-ha, I mean funny ironic, that Superman was used to fight racism... Right. And yet, when they had him fighting the Japanese, right, they used racist terms. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, and it wasn't just Superman. Like, Warner Brothers got right into it with Bugs Bunny as well. There was a, I saw a couple of the propaganda cartoons when I was younger. Probably shouldn't have seen them, but I did. But, yeah, some of the terms... Like, as a child, when I saw those cartoons, I didn't understand some of the terms. It did. It wasn't until I was an adult when I when I realized that one, what they were referring to, and two, that it was racist. Yeah, and it's interesting the thought process of the culture at the time. It's like it's okay to be racist because they're the enemy. Yeah, 
And that's... And don't anybody isolate that soundbite. In no way, shape, or form <laughs> am I ever saying it's okay to be racist. <laughs> no, and, I, and I, I understand what you mean. Is like At that point, it was wartime. They were enemies. Without getting too far into the history of it, I don't even want to say what happened back then, but you, know, you go talk to George Decay, he'll tell you. But the thing is, is it, it was propaganda. It was a way to rally people behind the cause, and that's all it was. It, it sucks that Superman was used in that fashion, but again, it was wartime. And this is what they did. And again, it's this idea of, hey, I'm behind you. I'm with you. Boys, go fight the good fight. Superman is here cheering you on. You know, and kids could go, yay! Yeah, what is, uh, I think it was the Superman ones where it said, one more bond is a bullet in the in your best man's gun, or something like that. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I mean, from a marketing strategy, absolutely brilliant, but, yeah. And I know that we're looking at it with today's lens, but as we look back, this is the first dent that we see in that Shining Knight's armor, you know, where they, it, it's not what Superman stands for, but we kind of, we we get what they were trying to do. Yeah, uh, essentially the story was, was co-opted by what was going on at the time, which really, uh, that's a lot what yeah. happens with comics. And that's where it's important when you see things like the Clint Eastwood movies, Flags of Our Father, but then he also tells the other story, Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah. And those are the things that we, we really need to look at to get that that dual perspective, if you will. In a lot of cases, yeah. Not all cases, but in a lot of cases. So let's move on. Um, after the war, we see a, another change in Superman. After the war, the adventures of Superman were adapted into a prequel, Superboy, about his life in Smallville with his adoptive parents, the Kents. Right. Now, this is also reflecting what's going on in society. Because the troops are coming home, there's a, a restoration of the American values, the American culture, the American family. It was a respectful, conservative time. You respected father. You respected what they had just done, what they had been through. And so this is where we see that transformation from Superman becoming a social justice warrior to being a symbol of social order. And it was during this time that Columbia Pictures produced a Superman serial. Remember we had talked about the serial before? And Kirk Allen donned the red cape. Really? Mind you, it was black and white. Yeah. So it wasn't really showing up as red. And these serials were sort of made on a shoestring budget, and they were there to put in front of the kitty matinees. Right. And they they did the the Batman ones at the same time, right? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I didn't research Batman. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, When we have a Batman... uh, Podcast. I'll just, yeah, we'll, I'll we'll do research. the research on that one. That'll be my thing. I'll be excited for that. Um, so this is when uh, uh, probably our first real famous Lois Lane, she just passed away within the last 10 years or so, mm-hmm. uh, an actress by the name of, of Noelle Neal uh, played Lois Lane. And so it's kind of our first live action look at Lois Lane and, and of Superman. Then they produced this movie, the serial. Right. And it was Adam Man versus Superman. And Superman was going up against this villain. Now, see if this villain sounds familiar. 
He's bald. His name is Luther. Right. Not Lex yet. No. Just Luther. He played by uh, an actor by the name of Lyle Talbot. And he became Superman's nemesis. The audiences were disappointed, though, that in the serial, they used animation to show Superman flying. And I'm going to just be very, very blunt here. What were they expecting? Well, I don't know what they were expecting. But, I mean, this was the special effects at the time. Yeah, I mean, mean, movie magic at the time was... But they wanted to see Superman fly. This becomes important later on as we continue on with the, the... the zeitgeist and the mythos and all that of Superman, both in these these multimedia um, venues and when we get into the movies. So they were really kind of disappointed that they couldn't see Superman fly. And in 1951, Superman versus the Mole Men hit theaters. The first Superman movie, not serial, movie. Superman versus the Mole Men. Yes. Neat. Superman versus the Mole Man. And it was a low-budget flick, of course, and it introduced us to our first iconic Superman actor, George Reeves. Right. And what it was about, it was about uh, a small town, and they were grappling with this fear of being invaded by these unusual gnome-like creatures that, as it turns out, were harmless. And Superman comes to their rescue. And the audience is given this really timely lesson in tolerance. That just because somebody looks different from you, just because somebody acts a little different from you, doesn't make them any less human or any less reasonable to live with. And one of the lines that Superman says to the angry mob is, these creatures have done nothing to harm you. Why are you trying to destroy them? I'm paraphrasing, of course. Don't come at me. And, you know, that's a really that's a really interesting thing because that's still relevant even today. Yeah. And it was shot, like, in 12 days on a back lot in Culver City. <laughs> like, this isn't, you know, this is not high-quality art yet. But it Clearly. was But it was wildly popular. And it introduced us to um, other characters as well. Jack Larson as Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy, Jack Larson as Jimmy Olsen in this movie and in The Adventures of Superman, because it actually led to The Adventures of Superman television show. His performances as Jimmy Olsen led DC to construct bigger comics, or an expanded Superman universe, if you will. And it yeah. gave birth to the um, comic known as Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Right. Because Jimmy suddenly was popular. Yeah. And then, of course, they followed that with Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. And this is how the Superman family, as we know it now, gets born. Right. And, you know, like, I've, I've seen... Some of the, the, the at least I don't know any of the full issues, but I've seen some of the covers of these books, and it, it kind of shows you how comics were approached back then. They were kind of campier and cheesier at the time. I remember seeing some really, really out there stuff. Yeah, and it's really interesting too, like the 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 things that people grappled with at the time. So um, 
let's just start with the fact that Superman represented all people, everybody. Right. Okay, so it wasn't just the, the white community or anything like that. He represent he represents a world community. I can't really reiterate that enough. Mm-hmm. And the budget gets higher and higher on the Adventures of Superman and the, the TV show. Right. George Reeves becomes very popular as the Man of Steel. So much so he does a guest spot on I Love Lucy, which was like the number one show of, of the time. Wow. You know. Um, and as it becomes more popular, they invest more money in it. And so season three is then shot in color. No, Noel Neal returns as Lois Lane. Right. You know, she replaces a, another actress whose name I have written down here. It was, what was her name? I want to give her Phyllis Coates. Phyllis Coates was Lois Lane. And then Noel Neal returns as Lois Lane and becomes, again, our very first really iconic Lois Lane. And George Reeves tried to emulate Superman in his life. He tried to conduct his life pretty much the same way that Clark Kent would conduct his life. He was a mild-mannered gentleman. He wanted to make sure everybody was doing well, that everybody um, was... Uh, feeling happy about what the work that they were doing, that they were all, you know, and, and that, that's a that's a tall order. It is a tall order, but um, and and that's kind of what makes his death so tragic. Yeah, but we'll get to that in a minute. What's interesting is that, of course, when they had all of these uh, budgetary things that they they needed to uh, deal with, of course, they get sponsors. And one of the big sponsors that they had was Kellogg's. So the, <laughs> the Kellogg's cereal company had these Superman commercials where they were, you know, toting um, Rice Krispies or whatever the, the cereal would be that they wanted to sell. But what was interesting is that Noel Neal, as Lois Lane, was not allowed to be seen having breakfast with Jimmy or Clark. And why is that? Because it was the 50s, Nick. Because it was the 50s. You can't show Lois Lane having breakfast with Jimmy Olsen and Clark Kent because that would indicate a night before. Now, here's the irony about that. Nobody batted an eyelash that Jimmy Olsen and Clark Kent were having breakfast together. (laughs) Oh, wow. More on that later. Oh, geez. As we get through that. But all I can say is that, you know, oh, the innocence and odd little thoughts of the 1950s. Superman at this particular time in the comics now starts to meet his first real world enemy. Really? Yes. Because there's a certain amount of disillusionment that starts happening in the 1950s. Okay, so we're in the 1950s now. So we're talking about 20 years on. From his inception, we're starting to get more real-world villains. Well, no. I'm talking about an actual real world. Not comic book, not movies, not anything like that. I'm talking about somebody in the real world who is opposed specifically to Superman oh, and comics. okay. Specifically, his re- a real-world nemesis. Interesting. Yes, and it's really interesting because let's see what's going on in the culture at that time in the 1950s. You have this 
rebellion going on. So you get movies like Rebel Without a Cause. You get movies like The Blackboard Jungle, which ironically starred Glenn Ford, who goes on to play Pa Kent in the uh, Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve. Mm -hmm. So basically we're seeing now in the 1950s this sort of divide in the adolescence where you have kids that are still being respectful and conservative versus the juvenile delinquents. Right. Quote unquote, of course. Yeah. And so this is this gives rise to and this is really honestly a great comic book villain name. This real life psychiatrist by the name of Frederick Wortham. Frederick Wortham. So and I'm I'm just going on what I know about comic book history. This is one of these psychiatrists that came came across and said Comic books are running children's brains. It's causing them to do delinquent behavior and blah, blah, yes, blah. Yes, because blah, blah. they're looking for a reason why these kids have gone from being, yes, sir, salute the soldiers to screw you and, uh, well, basically, um, yeah, you know, yeah. just doing all kinds of vandalism and, uh, riding, riding the cars for pink slips and all that kind of stuff that, uh, they carrying switchblade knives that they just, they didn't understand what was going on. And so Wortham, he writes a book called The Seduction of the Innocent. And he wages war on comic books. He is convinced it is because of comic books that these kids are turning to juvenile delinquency. Now, of course, comic books are a very wide and varied thing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just superheroes. There were pirate comic books. There were your Archie comic books sci-fi comic books, horror comic books. And that's the point. Because before we we really vilify uh, Dr. Wortham here, you are now seeing graphically displayed comic books with sexuality and violence and Gore. crime yeah. and all that kind of stuff that you weren't seeing before. And so obviously this is what's rotting their brains. But the problem was, is that Wortham specifically calls out our big blue boy scout, Superman, and calls him a fascist. What? He calls him a fascist. I, I don't know why, but he does. Now, this was Wortham's problem. This is where Wortham loses the fight. Because right. Superman is so revered by people, not just by the kids, but by the parents, that the attack on Superman from Dr. Wortham just fly off of him like the bullets do. Nah. And everyone's like, oh, okay, we were kind of with you there when you were talking about these horror comics and these these uh, crime comics and all this kind of stuff, but you're going to call our hero Superman a fascist? You have lost your fight, Dr. Wortham. You have lost your fight. But I would imagine that some of the stuff that he said did hold because I know guys like this, doctors like this, is what led to the uh, comic book code. Yes, absolutely. And that's when we start getting into goofy, kind of odd, be uh, funny little kitty stories. Yeah. Now, what actually hurt Superman more than... Dr. Wortham, more than Frederick Wortham, was the death of George Reeves. Yeah. This absolutely gutted the nation and potentially sidelined the juggernaut that was the Superman pop culture. 
because here are all these people. They're watching The Adventures of Superman. It's wildly popular. George Reeves is spectacular Superman. He embodies Superman in ways that haven't been shown before, except maybe in cartoons, except with the voice of Bud Collier, everything that, that leads up to it. And now he is dead. The man of steel can die. And he didn't just die. And this is painful to say because there was a whole Hollywood mythos around it. Mm -hmm. He committed suicide. Yeah. And and partially, the part of the reason is he had become depressed about only being Superman. Because he was a an actor before that. He had done movies before that. He was like a, a Western star. He had done all these wonderful things and wanted to do more wonderful things. But, but at that point, people only saw him as Superman. They only saw him as Superman and he wasn't going to get other things. Now, that's not is not to say that is the only reason he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. But it is one of many. It's one of the big reasons. One of many. And of course, in the 1950s, hey, there's nothing wrong with us. We don't need to go see a psychiatrist. There's a, a stigma. There's a shame in depression. There's stuff that's just not talked about. And so he has a few drinks and the, the, he shoots himself. And, 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 and this is why it becomes such a tragedy. Because Superman was not impervious to bullets. Right. Or to death. And I just want to say, if you or anyone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or anything of the like, I will be leaving resources in a link on our Podbean page for you to reach out. Just need a moment. That chokes me up a little bit. Yeah, it's it's upsetting because it's it's hard to deal with on any level. And he was so wonderful. And it, it's a part of Superman's history now. And, you know, the, well, yes, yes and no. But this is, this is the funny thing. Does that stop Hollywood? Does that stop producers from trying to uh, pick up and carry on? Well, John, as we both know from doing theater, the show must go on. Show? Oh, no. It's not about the show. The money must go on. Yeah. So here's what they try to do. They try to package and sell a TV show called The Adventures of Super Pop. Oh, no. And it was designed as a replacement for the show. And I laugh at this. Because why did anybody think that this would be good? And so they hired a bunch of little people actors. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And they put them in full head masks. These dog head masks. And they had names like Bark Kent. And they were doing this, they were going to do the scripts. Regardless, as the adventures of Super Pup, this kitty show. Oh my god. Mercifully, it did not get broadcast and only the pilot was made. And they looked at it and went, oh hell no. So cooler heads prevailed. That's good. Yes. And we're glad that they did. So even though... In our multimedia, radio and television and movies, 
we have no representation of the big blue boy scout right but by 1958 the dc comics were still going strong and they had seven different comics based on superman action comics superman uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, and a couple others whose uh, titles I, I, I forget, selling collectively 4 million copies a month. Whoa. Whoa. That is, that's insane. Yes. And then we get this wonderful writer who's head of the, the writing staff there and is largely responsible for a lot of the mythology of Superman that we know today named Mort Wessinger. I hope I got that name right. Um, and so he creates this extended universe. This is where we meet Supergirl. This is where we get the bottled city of Kandor. This is where we get more things to do with Krypton and Jor-El. And it's just this wonderful, wonderful expansion. And it's marvelous. And it revitalizes the interest in Superman. And we get these incredible stories and so now superman is is alive and well and and just moving forward now just just so i can understand the timeline at this point we're kind of into the silver age of superheroes right we're getting into the 60s now this okay. is where uh stan lee starts giving birth to spider-man and uh, the influences that he's he's had from superman are, are coming to fruition and we get this this Broadway play. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman, which didn't do very well. But nah. but you get these, and of course it's not going to do it very well because the songs were cheesy. The story was very comic booky. I'm just imagining some poor guy in blue tights swinging on a rope in the middle of the stage as the stagehands try to oh, no. direct it wasn't, him around. It wasn't even that good, Nick. Oh, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, but they turned it into a TV special. Did they really? Yes, Leslie Ann Warren played Lois Lane. Anyway, but then we, we get into a problem. So, Super, so what's the problem? Superman's doing well, but the nation is not. Because what happens in the 60s? Vietnam. Uh, no, no. No? Before we get to Vietnam, another tragedy strikes. Because DC had this whole... Kennedy. They had this whole thing set up where Superman was going to be friends with the President of the United States, who was Kennedy at the time. And then we have the Kennedy assassination. And the nation is gutted. All of a sudden, comic books seem very trivial. They, they, they're not that important. There's a, well, a yeah. cultural shift. And by the 1970s, it looks like Superman is just going to be seen as a fond memory or comedic fodder. And one of the other problems that we had is that Julius Schwartz, who was like the head of the DC writing, really was not a fan of Superman. And so Superman gets involved in these silly stories, these goofy stories, these stories that just don't make him look great. They don't pan out in the, the best of light. And for all intents and purposes, Superman is fading away in the cultural zeitgeist. And that's a shame because comics are our modern mythologies. Yeah. The heroes, they fall. They're doomed to failure. But they always come back fighting. They rise up mm -hmm. and they fight the good fight. And that's what happens with Superman. Because 
we get two gentlemen, father and son team, by the name of Alexander Salking and his son Ilya Salking. And Ilya had the idea to produce a Superman movie against slumping comic sales, and it's going to re revitalize because they love the action of things like Zorro and the Three Musketeers, which they had produced. And Ilya says, Dad, let's do Superman. Now, this is in the 70s, right? This is in the 70s. So let's, we know where that's going. Yes. Let's do Superman. They managed to raise $40 million, $40 million budget. They hire Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather, to write this treatment, to get the story going. But they had conditions. These were the conditions. They had to keep it straight, not too comedic. Right. They had to give it some gravitas. And they didn't want a known actor playing Superman or Clark Kent. Right. Because they felt that if they had somebody like Robert Redford, John Voight, Burt Reynolds, these were big stars at the time, if one of them was playing Superman, it would take away from the view of Superman. You wouldn't see Superman. You would see these big stars. My opinion, correct choice. I would agree with and that. And I'm not saying that because Christopher Reeve proved himself. I'm saying correct choice initially. Yeah. Because could you imagine if, say, Brad Pitt were playing Superman? I'm still trying to imagine John Voight playing Superman. Well, he was younger back then. I mean, big stars, big money. Yeah. But the idea was that they could have an unknown actor if they surrounded him with actors of certain gravitas. Yeah. And the biggest actor at that time, freshly coming off of the Godfather movie, Marlon Brando. You put Marlon Brando in here as Jor-El. Glenn Ford's playing Pa Kent. Jackie Cooper's playing uh, Perry White. You have all of these grounded, storied actors getting in there. And not only are they filming one movie, they're filming two. I didn't realize this. They were filming Superman 2 simultaneously. See, that's when I knew. I, knew I did one. not know that. So they wanted to cast this unknown actor. And they even went so far as to have... So I, I can't remember whose it was, but somebody's dentist came in or to to read because they were just looking for that look. And so finally, we get Christopher Reeve. And what was interesting about Christopher Reeve is that he nailed the duality of Superman. Right. He had the mild-mannered, gee whiz, I'm a farm boy, 1950s... Um, gosh, OG personality nailed. But then when he spoke as Superman, when he conducted, held himself as Superman, it became Superman. Right. And that's, that's one of the interesting things is that that's, I think Christopher Reeves was probably one of the actors that really understood that duality. Yeah. And um, Margot Kidder even says that, like she said, watching him, was just brilliant because he would hold himself differently as Clark Kent than he would as Superman. So he's he's maybe his shoulders are slumped and maybe he's um, 
working a different way. But then when he becomes Superman, he's standing tall and he's standing straight and there's clarity in his voice and this confidence that exudes from him. And you, you see that in his performance. Like when you see him as Clark Kent, yeah, like he's, he's a big guy, obviously. He's not a, t- a tiny guy. But when you see him slumping forward and, and, and the way he stumbles over his words as Clark Kent, and then you see him as Superman, it, it, it is two vastly different performances. And the neat thing is, is when he's playing Clark Kent, he's actually, or he's actually performing as Superman, performing as Clark Kent. Right, because what's the line from Kill Bill? Superman is Superman. Yeah. Clark Kent is the disguise. Yeah. So here's here's a little bit of trivia. So Leslie Ann Warren, who I said played Lois Lane in the ill-fated uh, broadcast of the musical, <laughs> uh, she actually auditioned for the role of Lois Lane, along with other known actress, actresses like Ann Archer and Stockard Channing. But, of course, as we know, Margot Kidder ultimately won the role, and the reason she got the role was that she brought a uniqueness in her interpretation to Lois Lane. And she had this great chemistry with Christopher Reeves. Yeah. And part of what the uniqueness was is that when you see the the um, auditions, you see the test footage, Margot Kidder approached it this way. Lois Lane has always been that ideal of a feminist in a man's world where she is a powerful voice. She speaks... And plays with the big boys. She is fearless as a reporter. She's going to get the scoop. She's going to get that story. She does not play. Yeah. And that's what Margot Kidder brought. Well, the other actresses could bring that too. But what they didn't bring was the notion, and Margot Kidder played it expertly, where she said, and then I thought, I see Superman. And I become this little girl. And I gush. And I feel these feelings and I become, I melt. And that's Lois Lane. And you see that in the performance because there is, when Lois Lane, when Margot Kidder, sorry, when Margot Kidder is on screen with Christopher Reeves as Superman, she conducts herself entirely differently because obviously she, there is a kind of love at first sight thing with Superman. But she did that and she actually did that in the performance and she said of course that that was how she did and she said and to my shame I as a young woman used to do that. I would act one way in front of somebody I you know was pals with or wasn't attracted to but uh, another way with somebody else that I, that I was. And again we bring up the duality. And right. that, that really is a theme with everything that encompasses Superman, is yeah. the duality. And I mean no disrespect to Noel Neal or Amy Adams or any other actress that has played Margot Kidder. You said uh, a few minutes ago, uh, I'm sorry, uh, not Lois Lane, Margot Kidder. No, in my opinion, you got it right. She was Lois Lane. Yeah. Margot Kidder has the ultimate Lois Lane performance, in my opinion. And I don't disagree with that. Like, her performance informed... The performances of other actresses. If you see Erica Durant as Lois Lane in Smallville, you see a lot of Margot Kidder in there. So, of course, uh, when I met Margot Kidder, I had to say to her, you are Lois Lane. Of course. Yeah. And she really appreciated that. Um, so, let's talk just a little bit about Superman 2 because now we're getting into the controversies. 
remember, it's at this point, it's the nineteen early nineteen eighties, mm-hmm. and there is a problem that people have with Superman too. One, Superman reveals his identity to Lois Lane. Yeah, Clark reveals that he is Superman, and Nick. <gasps> Sex. Oh no. I know. But Marco Kidder said she actually thought that that was a mistake. Part of the, because that's not the sort of thing that Superman really would have done. Again, an opinion. It's easy in 2021 to roll our eyes and look at that and, and groan a little bit. But think about uh, the yeah, culture. Early 80s, yeah. Yeah. I mean, promiscuity and sex before marriage and all that was probably not the. The way to go. And I see that point. Maybe that wasn't the way to go back then. Because, you know, we know that Superman and Lois Lane eventually wind up getting married. Yeah. And that's as they should. And it's fantastic. So then as we move into the movies, I often like to joke, we had two good Superman movies and the rest are not. Um, Although... I, I rephrase that a little bit because Man of Steel, I enjoyed. I did like Man of Steel. We we get Richard Pryor <laughs> as this vi- sort of villain. Um, and it's kind of downhill from there. Yeah, le- the, the less said about part four, the better. We're not even going to mention part four. Um, good concept. Relevant. <laughs> didn't work. So Superman now is falling again and in media, except in the comics. Yeah. Because along comes John Byrne, and he updates Superman for the 1980s, and he writes these fantastic stories where Superman is introspective, and he becomes uh, vulnerable, and there's all these villains that can really take him to task. And what happens? One of them winds up killing him. Doomsday. Yes, and so I remember that from you were in a you were. I was a teenager. Yeah, I was a teenager. We were living for it, and when they said that Superman was going to die, oh, can you imagine what that did to me? Yeah, and the the following storyline that came off that the reign of the Superman, I was every issue of that I had to have. And that was the thing. Like The, the writers at DC knew, of course, Superman wasn't going to die. They were going to bring him back, and they had all these writers working on it. They had four different storylines. How are we going to bring him back? Where are we going to bring him back? And But the media got a hold of it, and the headline, Superman is dead. Yeah. And the world went, what? Right. And so they couldn't just bring him back. It was shocking. Yeah, and they they couldn't just bring him back because the media went on this little frenzy. And they thought, how how are we going to bring him back? They said, okay, well, let's do all of those four stories, and then we'll come up with something else. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to the the point that got us thinking about Superman. We're not going to talk about Man of Steel or the Justice League or... Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I mean... I just brought all of this history up to show you how fluid and changing over the decades Superman has been to reflect society. And as I mentioned with Superman 2, society was not thrilled with the sexuality. As I mentioned with the Superman Dead story, the media published a title and the world went nuts. Mm -hmm. Failing to realize that was not the death of Superman. 
So here we are now, Nick, in 2021. And before we get to that, just before we get to that, I want to make this point. The Death of Superman sold 3 million copies. 3 million copies. And I just want to, just to put that into perspective, a lot of the main title comic books nowadays wishes they could do that. Yeah, and so here we are. It's now 2021. And a headline grabs the world. And it is very simple that Superman is bisexual. This happened on National Coming Out Day. And it stirred a flurry of opinions when it was announced. Oh, the internet lost its collective mind. Yeah. And what people have to understand about this as I pointed out, there are there was at one point, I don't know if there still is, but at one point there was seven different comics starring Superman. Yeah, like th- that's that's one of the things I found out is that throughout the years there has never been a single year since 1938 where there has not been at least one publication of Superman running. Right. And that's what we're looking at because each one of those comics has a different story. Yeah. And it's one of those things that DC plays with well, and it's another thing that Marvel has done. And, you know, as we're looking forward to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, these are stories that take place in alternate worlds. Yeah. You know, there's a story that uh, came out of Barack Obama uh, mentioning Superman in one of his speeches. Uh, we, we have uh, the character is Calvin Ellis in a different world, another world. We have Superman as a, a black man yeah uh who is not only superman but he is the president of the united states Mm -hmm. so does that detract anything from superman of course not so let's make this point this is what the world failed to realize when they saw the title superman is bisexual they lost their minds because they assumed it was clark kent yeah and the truth is it's not no it's his son, John Kent, mm-hmm. who has taken up the mantle of Superman in this particular storyline. And that that's the important thing, is that I, I, th- I think a lot of the reactions were knee-jerk reactions. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the negative reactions were from people who probably haven't picked up a Superman comic in, ever. And to my surprise, some of the detractors we're also from the gay community. Yeah, I saw that as well. So it's it's really interesting. Um, but let's let's run that down just a little bit. So my understanding of the story is very simple. It happens in the future, where we get this idea that even Superman is getting old and tired. It's a a burden that he has chosen. It's a burden that was put on him. To be the protector of the world. But, you know, if he's like me, he's getting up and his knee hurts a bit. And doesn't really want to be doing that all the time. Yeah. And so his son, John Kent, is taking up the mantle of Superman. He is going to be the new Superman for the world in this storyline. He's the, the son of uh, Clark and Lois, of course. Um, full name, uh, uh, Jonathan Lane Kent. And he meets this reporter by the name of Jay Nakamura, who becomes his love interest. And as I understand, Jay is also going to 
be revealed as having some kind of superpowers. He'll wind up being a superhero as well. What this shows is the representation of everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's important that this character comes from the Superman family because this these are all the things that Superman has stood for being a social justice warrior fighting against intolerance and racism and all of these other things that it's it's okay if you're different you're still valued you're still valuable mm-hmm. and it's important I think that youth who are gay see themselves. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's not like he's the first superhero to um, be bisexual or gay or anything like that. There there are quite a few others. North Star comes to mind. Yeah, or in the Ultimate Comic Books we had Colossus. Yeah. And I think they made one of the Green Lanterns gay a, a while back. So I think that people can just get a little bit too concerned about the reflection of society. And that's what's happening. This mythology is reflecting the truth of society right now. Well, and that's that's been an ongoing thing with comics throughout the years. If you look at a lot of comic book stories, they tend to reflect what's going on in society because writers are going to write about what they know. Yeah. And, you know, they're, I, I think they're working on actually having a movie adaptation of the Calvin Ellis story, and they're looking for an actor to play that iteration of Superman. The, the point is simply this. Do your research into these things. Don't just have a knee-jerk reaction. Because when I heard that Superman was bisexual, my first reaction, honestly, was, what? Because it was interesting, and I, I thought, what, what do you mean? He's, he's bisexual. He's married to Lois Lane. I don't understand us. So I looked into it, and it's like, oh, oh, I see what they're doing. I get that. Now, when I first saw it, I saw it on Twitter, and somebody had actually just posted what it was. It wasn't a link to a clickbait article. Somebody just said, hey, Superman's son, Jonathan, is going to be bisexual. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah, again, I, I don't have a problem with it, really. It's just, uh, I, I understand the idea. But this goes to show how ingrained these characters become in us. And, uh, folks, it's very simple. Superman started off not being able to fly. He started off without any kryptonite. He started off as a social justice warrior. He became a symbol for law and order. He changed with the times. And continued to change with the times. And leads the way, because why? We all look up to our first superhero. Our most iconic superhero. The one that we all want to emulate. The one that is decent, that is good, that looks for the best in humanity. And that's why it is important that this story comes from the Superman family. If it had been a Batman story, I think it would have... I don't know, I think it may have come off a little disingenuous. It wouldn't have gotten the same flurry or or, or detraction. Because one of, the, uh, one of the, the Robins is gay. Yeah. And nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. 
And not to mention, I mean, how many versions of, how many different Batman have there been over the decades versus how many different Superman? Yeah, so the bottom line is simply this. This story's not for you? Great. Don't buy that particular comic. There's tons of other Superman stories that you can choose from. If it's something you're interested in, go buy it, by all means. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? As we've mentioned before, representation matters. It does. And the world's changing. Some good, some not so good. And we have to remember that Superman is a very Christ-like mythos. Yeah. And that idea of this godlike human being coming down to save humanity and to show us a better way. Sent by his father, no less. Is relevant, timely, and continues to change. Because like that representation, like that mythos that he is based on or became, I, I wouldn't say that was the intention of of the creators, but it became that. You can see that. That was actually represented in Smallville in one of the... Uh, the posters, you, you got Tom Welling there as, as basically, he's not Superboy, but basically Superboy. He's Clark Kent. And he's hanging on basically a cross. It's not really a cross. Yeah. And he's tied to it. And he's got the S on his chest. And there's the, the kryptonite hanging around him. And, you know, well, it's basically a crucifixion. I mean, even look at the play Godspell. Christ wears a Superman shirt. Like, right. the, the imagery is there. Yeah. So, as, as we're moving through with this, the basis of that mythos and the basis of Superman is simply love one another. Treat everyone the way you want to be treated. Nick, that is a very powerful podcast that we had. It was longer than our usual podcast. We could go on about Superman. We could go on into a lot of depth about these things, but I'm just hoping that in this world that we're living in now, where there is a lot of confusion and a lot of divide, that people will understand this is just a story. It's a powerful story, and it's an important story. And Let them tell it. And hopefully they'll learn from it. Yeah, it's educational. It's, it's all the things that we hope humanity will become. I'm not saying that anybody's opinion is wrong. You can believe whatever moral choice you want to believe, but you don't have the right to inflict that moral identity onto another person. Yeah. Let people live the, their truth. And let them have their representation. Yeah. Anyway, folks, that is all the time we have. Uh, we are signing off from Area 51 and a half on behalf of myself, John Allen, and Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. We hope that you'll join us again, and thank you for listening to this podcast. That was a good show. I really hope that the message came across. Yeah, yeah, so do I. Um, I, I really enjoyed what we're doing this year. I think it's a great set. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just,